Hey there folks, Alex Lokes here and welcome back to Classic Camera Revival. Today we are going to be digging into the last three professional F cameras from Nikon. That's the 4, 5, and 6, which are the only ones we are missing from our whole series on the subject. So let's roll that intro and get going. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival. Coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. Okay, so you need to understand that the the way Nikon worked, especially later on, they would start putting technology into consumer advanced amateur cameras. So when we see the F4 hit market, it actually has really the core of three other cameras in it. You have the Nikon FG, which introduced full program mode, the Nikon FA, which added matrix metering, and the Nikon F506, which gave us the modern form, well, the early modern form of Nikon's autofocus system. That is having the autofocus drive in the camera itself not in the lens, unlike Canon, for example. So, to really kick things off, one of Nikon's weirdest design cameras, yet oddly beautiful, is 1988's Nikon F4. Bill, you love this camera. Oh, hell yeah. A little history. Where were you in 1988? I knew where I was. First year, University of Toronto. I think in history class. Can't quite remember. Anyway, it's roughly the same time. Nikon took a great leap forward. Now, as Alex pointed out, they always test drove new technology in their consumer and prosumer bodies just to see how the you know the enthusiast can handle the technology before saying, okay, let's put it into our pro body. Nikon wanted to take a great leap forward. Again, the pro body at the moment was the Nikon F3, which ironically enough outlasted the F4, but that's a story for another day. They utilized the same designer, uh, Guigerio Giorgetto of Ital Design, uh, famous for the Maserati Bora, the Ghibli, other cars, uh, like Volkswagen Rat, uh, Golf, first generation, or the Rabbit in North America. And he did a lot of... Um, Industrial design. So the F4 was a lovely bit of industrial design. Every, and in some ways, it was the end of an era camera. In some ways, it was the great leap forward. End of an era, because it was the last camera that had dials, buttons. Like you had a shutter button, shutter control. You had, uh, again, all the pro bodies had manual rewind, but you had exposure compensation. It had its own dial. You had a lever that could go between manual, aperture priority, shutter priority, program, two program modes, and, of course, the standard lock, single, continuous, and different continuous modes for firing it off. Now, the Nikon had three variants of the F4, the latest being the F4 proper, which took four, count them four, AA batteries, which... You know, that got you through most situations. It's the lightest of the series. 
Uh, the second of the two is the F4S, which is probably the most common. It took six AA batteries, but it also introduced a vertical drip, uh, vertical grip along with a vertical button. So for taking portraits, it was that much easier. And then the, the last of the series was the F4E, which it's a really big battery grip. It kind of sort of harkened what the F, what you were going to get with the F5. The F4 could take all the lenses. Well, yeah, well, in theory, all the lenses. Granted, if you had a G, uh, G series lens, yeah, you're stuck in shutter priority and in program mode. But you could use pre-AI automatic index lenses, AI lenses, AIS manual focus lenses, plus AF and AFD lenses on this camera. You can use matrix metering throughout all of them. And matrix, matrix metering, especially for color photography, is your friend. Um, aside from weight, uh, the only other Achilles heel of the F4 is the dreaded LCD bleed. Um, there are workarounds, however, that workarounds are going to be around for so much longer. You have to find, there's two LCD panels, the upper, which is built into the body, which count, is your frame counter, and the lower, which is actually in your prism head kind of counterintuitive. The problem is you can replace the prism head and thus if you hit the lower LCD panel is bleeding and you can still get a very usable F4 because you still have a manual frame counter on the body. That's just the only Achilles heel and you kind of left cursing Nikon what were you thinking but they thought well these things will last forever and for their mind there in my mind forever is you know, okay, a product cycle or two ahead, which would, that would have been the F6. And in terms of usability, and that's really just the, the the only Achilles heel. In terms of usability, the camera is a dream to shoot with. Now, granted, uh, I should touch on this. The This is the first pro-body autofocus camera. The autofocus is okay. But then you kind of, if you get a chance to try a Canon EOS one, that early one, you realize that you, you realize quickly why Canon kind of hoovered up the pro market in the early 1990s, especially in sports photography. That said, I also consider the F4 the last pro body Nikon manual focus camera they made. Because I wind up just using manual focus lenses on it half the time, and it's got a built-in motor drive. And probably one of the best metering systems they ever made. So those are my two cents. Um, they are plentifully available out there uh, and varying in price depending on, of course, the, uh, you know, the mechanical and electronic viability along with the dreaded LCD bleed. Um, other than that, it, it is a sweet camera. And uh, if you are an icon shooter and you're thinking I need something that's a little more accurate, especially if you're shooting slide film, which, you know, the price of slide film being what it is these days, yeah, I would strongly suggest taking a look at an F4. If you're on a budget, to some extent, compared to, especially compared to an F6. Uh, definitely, but there are, there are a few things that you do need to watch out for with the uh, F4. Um, one of the best part is it's really one of the last Nikon Pro camera that had a lot of you can modify it a lot right 
you you might get an original F4, but you can throw on the bigger battery grip and it becomes an F4E or an F4S. Mm-hmm. Um, the matrix metering is fantastic, but you need to have the right prism head for it to work. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't available on all the uh, prism heads, and they had quite a few. They had um, a chimney finder, they had a sports finder, but only one had the ability to do that matrix metering. Um, you also could put a 250-shot magazine onto that thing and just really plow through it. So it was really a really interesting bridge between the the F, the F2, the F3 into the more modern F5 and F6. F5 and F6. Well, one thing I have to let touch on, um, the F4, I, I, I can't speak for the F5, but the F4 is probably the last of those sort of traditional focusing screens that you can sort of pop at yourself, just, you know, a protected finger and off you go. Sadly though, if you want a K screen, which is sort of perfect for manual focus, Mm. good luck finding one and be prepared to spend the equivalent of almost the value of the body. Yeah. And, um, the, uh, the, focusing rangefinder that focus assist isn't the best on the camera either as, as i said it is okay yeah i didn't say it was fabulous i, I think nikon saw the error of their ways and when they came to the f90x or the n90s in the u.s uh they kind of fixed that problem and a lot of pro photographers bought f90x's which was the step down and it is it sort of made up for the f4's achilles heel with autofocus yeah, definitely. I've, I've, I shot an F4S for many years before getting my own Grail camera, the F5, and I really enjoyed it. It had a big, chunky grip. Um, again, autofocus was okay, um, not the best. Um, I really didn't like having limitations on shutter priority and full program mode with uh, G-type lenses. Because, again, I was shooting this in abandoned buildings. I was using my uh, 14 to 24 2.8G. And in shutter priority, you didn't have access to the really slow shutter speeds that you could get in full program mode. But it didn't always give you that. So that, that was one thing that really stuck out in my mind as being a problem with the F4 for the type of photography I was doing with it it didn't give me that 30 second and you needed a special cable release for it. That was, was it the same as the F5? I don't, I don't know. know. Spin it around. Let's take a look. Let's take a look. It, um, no, I think that's the PC one. It, oh, is it down at the bottom here? Yeah. On the grip? That would be it. I have a cable release. We can actually check if we want to. I don't know. You turn that. You spin the knob. We're here spinning knobs, folks. No. I I think it's different. I have I have a vague recollection that I needed to get a different one than what I was using at the time on my digital body, the D three hundred. Let's have a look. Yeah the, yeah, the D300 one, the one for the F5, I think it just pops out actually, are all the same cable release. No, this one's different. It's yeah, only got two it pins. It is different. Yeah. 
So that was that was another thing that I really found that having to carry two cable releases and and all yeah. that. And I've I shot manual focus lenses on it, and I never really liked it with a manual focus. Lens. Well, the other thing with the F four, it does have a built in diopter, so mm-hmm. I'm kind of like everyone else. We're in this room, Gen X eyesight, as I like to call it. <laughs> it is actually I I just tweak the eye diopter, and then it's like, yeah, I can focus manually with it. New probably at all. It is the blindness of champions, as I like to call it. Yeah. Sigh. <laughs> so yeah, the F4 was around till about 1996. Probably into probably there were some leftovers into 1997 model year, but that's when the F5 came out. Yeah, um, <clears throat> and a couple other interesting notes about the F4. Um, it was one of the first cameras that Nikon converted to become a digital SLR. It was part of the Hercules system, which went up in the space shuttles, and they put a massive back on it. It had a base unit and you can still find a few of them floating around on ebay but just a neat little piece of history just like the f3 becoming one of the first pro digital slrs um and some of the early designs of the f4 before they brought girogetti Mm -hmm. back on board basically were what the early f3s looked like basically a souped up f2 the early f4s looked like a souped up F3 and it actually ended up winning a design award for 1988 and proved to be quite polarizing just like the F3 was. The F5 is interesting because again you started to see them starting with the original F4 design first and one thing that really stuck is the more smooth um, prism Mm. head. So the F5 came out in 1998, and it was my grail camera when I started working with Nikon autofocus cameras. I I got an F80, and I bought the battery grip just so that it would look like an F5, because when I got that camera, I could not afford an F5, even on the used market. They were still quite expensive, over $1,000, and really set a precedent for Nikon's Pro SLRs still into today. It was one of the least customizable cameras before the F6 was released, but it actually had two finders that supported now 3D color matrix metering, which makes your color film look incredible when you shoot through it and even black and white looks amazing with this new new camera and they finally went the way of canon and moved away from physical controls everything was now done by buttons and command dials and lcd screens so a lot of people didn't like that um but it is what it is it took a while for me to get used to moving from the f4 to the f5 But what really made the F5 stand out was that it was a unibody design. You had the battery grip built in, single body, super solid. This thing could take a beating. It went to war. I've taken it into the middle of uh, 1812 reenactments, and it's just kept on going the whole time. 
So you were the one who polluted the timeline. Yeah, sorry about that. Well, I mean, there's a tank. It deserves to go to war. So. Mm, absolutely. Oddly enough, during a period of uh, world history where it was relatively peaceful <laughs> before 9-11 went down, um, I, so I ended up getting my F5 several years back. I went and photographed a wedding and made sure I made enough money off of it that I could drop the money on an F5. Because that's sometimes what you have to do to get the camera that you really like. Um, you are a little more limited in what optics you can use. It really is a truly autofocus camera. It likes using the original AF, the Type D, and you had full use of the Type G because you could control everything from the camera. And again, Nikon released that with a lower spec camera. I think it was the F401. F5? Uh, F100, actually. Um, but no, before the F100, there was the F401, which had everything controlled by dials on the camera body. Actually, that would have been the F90X because that the F401 was pre-F90 again on Nikon and their grant. You almost need a whiteboard. Yes. it all there. Yeah. But I, I think it was the F90X was the first half, middle 1990s camera. The F401 predated the F90X. The F90 and F90X, which was like, again, still a real sleeper of a camera. Mm. Highly recommend it. But it's... Uh, yeah, that was where Nikon was saying this is like a top-end prosumer or backup body for pros that was all just buttons and don't remember any dials, but yeah, it was all buttons. It would have it would have a command dial on it. And what really drew me to the F5 was that it had two command dials. It had one on the front, one mm -hmm. on the back, which meant that when you're shooting in metered manual, you didn't have to press a separate button to mm -hmm. make your dial do... Um, the aperture, which I always thought was weird that Nikon did that with the F65 mm. is instead of the dial automatically controlling the aperture because Nikon has always been aperture priority. Canon has already always been shutter priority with a uh, single dials, but now the F5 is a sports car of a camera. Like this thing is a V12 Aston Martin vanquish. It is beautiful to shoot. It has a fast FPS native to the camera. You didn't have to change anything. Um, you had a few options for prisms. Two supported the 3D color matrix metering. Um, two of them did not. Um, focusing screens, very limited in what you could do. Um, lenses, again, really designed for that autofocus. I've never really had good results with any manual focus lenses on it. Um, the one thing you do need to watch out for is that you can't mount your pre-AI auto Nikkor glass on it unless you get your hands on one that has had the mount modified, but they are rare and really you don't want to get into doing that yourself. That was a modification that really needed to be done at the Nikon factory. Again, it's powered by eight AA batteries, which has been a lifesaver for me. I was shooting an 1812 Grand Tactical in Penetanguishene, and I had left my spare batteries back at the camp, and I was right in the downtown photographing an actual street battle going on, 
and I ducked into a grocery store, full 1812 garb, bought a huge pack of batteries so I could quickly put them into my camera and just headed right back out. And I have, like I said, full G lens support, AFS support, um, even the lenses that have um, VR fully supported by the F5, which is just absolutely fantastic. If you're looking for that pro camera, if you're a wedding shooter who has a Nikon pro body, this is definitely the camera to pick up to shoot 35 millimeter at weddings. I've shot several with mine since and yeah it's just it's beautiful um you can if you really want to unlock a lot of extra features with this camera get the mf28 data back and it gives you the ability to imprint exposure data on the film rebate between the frames and like up to a thousand hours of um like having the sh having the shutter open and nine frame bracketing like this camera has so many features unfortunately the mf28 data backs are fairly expensive still but the f5s itself have come down a lot in price since i bought mine when i bought mine it was about 700 us mm. and nowadays you can probably pick them up for five four hundred dollars i wound up buying my f5 off a used camera dealer around the corner from my girlfriend's place midtown toronto I think I wound up spending, uh, for still quoting U.S. funds, I want to say about 300 bucks U.S. That's what I paid for mine. Um, oh, no, sorry. I paid 300 Canadian for mine, actually. Um, mine was close to 400 but it was just like, oh, it's literally around the corner from my girlfriend. You know, literally on the way to her place, I stopped by this place, plunked the cash down. Picked up the body. Uh, the only caveat I would suggest, um, get those big jumbo, like go to your local hardware store, those packets of like Energizer double A's, just buy a lot of them. Yeah. I would just go with uh, Energizer lithiums in, in it. When mm -hmm. I when I was, shoot, I don't shoot my F5 anymore. I actually, my F5, I, I sold it to Trevor, who eventually I think sold it to John. I don't know if John still owns it or not, or if he got rid of it, but um I found, uh, especially in cold weather, the Energizer Lithium Double A's lasted forever. I would change them maybe once a year, a year and a half. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, Toronto Film Shooters Walk, where we went out in the actual snowstorm and walked from Deneen Coffee on Young Street up to the Rebel House, I had my F5 out and it had lithium batteries and no problems. Like this camera really is great. And you don't have to worry about your shutter actually going off speed because it self-adjusts like this is yeah. a camera designed for the absolute worst conditions out there. And I would take it out in the winter before I took out a mechanical camera, hands down. But one thing that's interesting, Bill, is that you tried an F5, your brother's, Oh, uh, oh, and you hated it. Well, it's not so much that. It's sort of like, you ever sort of like, um, and again, I'll use Alex's analogy that you're you're sort of stepping from, I don't know, an Austin Heat. Say if you love shooting with a Nikon FM2. It's a lovely Austin Healy Sprite. Handles well in the corners, but is grossly underpowered on the straightaways. Well, you're going from the Austin Healy Sprite with the one and a half liter engine. British Leyland, 
You going into a brand spanking new Aston Martin. Well, a current model Aston Martin Vanquish straight out of uh, Casino Royale. Yeah, there's going to be a learning curve. And that's what I sort of found the first time I picked it up. And it was like, uh, no, no, I'm happy with my F4. <laughs> Six months later, over the Christmas holidays, I tried it again. Then all of a sudden, I figured it out. And it's like, yes, I need not want one of these. I need one of these. It's just <laughs> like that. You know, you sit there going, how many do you really need? Oh, yeah, I want an F5. And I have taken an F5 up me with me uh, to Northern Muskoka, my annual photography retreat with friends. And, oh, boy, not one bad color photo in any roll of film. It's just the exposure is on point all the time, every time. So, yeah, you know, both the F4 and the F5, I guess the same could be said for the F6, probably even more so. Considering slide film is insanely expensive these yeah. days, unless you're buying it. Uh, euphoria. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I think um, I, I sort of uh, align the mentality around the F5 um, similar to Leica's M5. Mm. You know, I think photographers as a, in their general nature are a quirky bunch and they are somewhat stubborn and stalwart in their opinions. And I think the F5 is somewhat of a... Um, um, divisive type of camera in the Nikon family. So you either go with an F5 or an F6, um, or a lot of photographers will stick with the sort of traditional design. So up until the F3 and sort of the F4 was sort of that bridge into the more show, I guess, for lack of a better word, modern designs. Mm. Um, but even the F3 was divisive in its day because it needed a battery. To very work. true. Well, yes. And the, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the F3 was the, the divisiveness was based on um, the use of electronics and the dependence on electronics where, you know, and, and there's still that whole perception um, or at least a strong perception, I think, in the, in the film shooting world that manual or mechanical will always be better or more dependable than electronics. I don't really share that opinion. I think both are equally prone to breaking down. One may be more fixable than the other, mm. but in terms of dependability, um, in my opinion anyway, they're probably very, very close. Not enough to really sway a decision one way or the other. And let's face it, none of these cameras are probably being used for um, significant professional work where dependability is the number one factor in choosing your equipment. So a lot of it is personal preference, aesthetic, um, nostalgia, uh, what have you. And, and all of those, you know, those aspects of choosing one of these cameras is absolutely cool um, with whoever it's shooter's preference. But yeah, it, I do find it interesting. And, and I think, yeah, like Bill, if you're one of those guys that, you know, you tried an F5 and never, you know, got, you know, I shouldn't say got past it, but, you know, it wasn't for you, right? It well, it wasn't for me at a yeah. point in time. Like six months later, all of a sudden, I gelled with it. Yeah. And even then, I'm still discovering what it's truly capable of. Yeah. It's like uh, it is a very powerful photography, photographic tool, uh, which, you know, nostalgia is fun and all, but, you know, just an inside um, – I recently, one of my Nikon Fs, the shutter jammed and the shutter release button disappeared. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Like well, it, I was it got sucked into the camera? 
I don't know what happened to it, but it's sort of like everyone sort of says, oh, yeah, the old mechanic. Well, yes and no. Like, is it the end of the universe? No, but it was that part of that week where, you know, the week of three bad things. I won't get into the other two, but, yeah, it was an expensive week, and it wasn't, okay. it wasn't with the camera. It was something else. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you have, like, what, 25 other Nikon Fs in your collection? Five others. Yeah. I just sort of rearranged the prisms, and I've got, I've got a spare eye-level prism, which will find a body at some point, or... I don't think you're in any danger of not having a backup camera built. No, 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 no. (laughs) Now, what's really interesting is, while the Nikon F5 is sort of the culmination of the the four previous um, pro models, the F6 is interesting because it really is a 35mm SLR, but it was born of the digital age. So this is an interesting... One, specifically because it was the last one sold by Nikon Canada. Uh, yes, my camera is the last um, brand new uh, Nikon F6 to be sold in Canada. Um, it actually, uh, my camera dealer, um, Photo Creative in Mississauga, actually called Nikon um, or Nikon uh, and uh, asked them if they had anything uh, left in the warehouse. And they said, we have one sitting on the shelf. It's been sitting there for uh a couple years you want it uh drive over and get it and my camera dealer is literally five minutes down the street from the canadian uh, warehouse so yeah last one ever to be sold so it is my camera to me is, is brand new um i still have the box and all the paperwork and everything uh, but really mm-hmm. uh you know I, I bought mine i think in um either 2019 or 2020 somewhere around there um and uh, it was in production from 2004 to 2020 and as Alex mentioned um, I guess one of the peculiarities about the camera it was launched in Photokina at the same time the D2 uh, D2X was launched as well so they are already had a version they already had the D1 the D1X out um, at that time um, and the D and the D2 as well and the D2X was really um, sort of uh, you know Nikon's I guess third um, professional body digital camera and then their sort of culmination the last of the f lineup was the was the f6 um that they kind of i think built upon in their you know further development and the digital lineup so it has it shares a lot of the features um that you would find in in the modern uh, nikon well i shouldn't say modern nikon digital cameras anymore um in the recently retired uh uh, D series of uh, cameras, the, uh, the the digital SLRs, because I don't think Nikon is actually producing DSLRs anymore. No, they're no, they're not. Yeah, unfortunately, they, yeah, they've gone to the Z series or Z series for our American friends. Um, so yeah, this is really sort of the pinnacle uh, of that of that evolution, all the way from the F uh, to the F6. There's um, been a lot of uh, uh, things added on to essentially what was the basic film or mirror box that was designed actually, I think from the Nikon S series. Um, and then everything was built around that, um, that Nikon SP photo box. Um, and then it's interesting that, you know, that went from the F, um, and there was never an F1, but you know, all the way from the F, I guess the F would have been the F1, I suppose. Um, all the way to the F6. So interesting, they built all that around that singular um, uh, reflex box system. And that's actually what F stands for in 
that the F comes from reflex from, uh, uh, you know, in, in their branding and that sort of thing. So this camera, of course, will do anything that you want. Um, and uh, I wouldn't say it's a revolutionary camera. If you look back at the lineup, I think it's, a, it's an evolution from the, uh, the F5, much how the F5 was an evolution from the F4. So a lot of the autofocus issues um, and things that you had with the F5 were, or pardon me, with the F4 were remedied with the F5. And then the F6 versus the F5, you had a few of the um, like autofocus issues and things like, not, not really issues, but things were refined a little bit. So, you know, like for example, um, the 3D matrix metering um, uh, doesn't work, um, isn't supported uh, uh, in the auto and, uh, and manual modes um, uh, in, uh, in the F5 uh, um, with, uh, with the AI and AIS manual focus lenses. Um, but with, if you have uh, uh, AI or newer lens, with the f6 it is supported so it gave photographers a an ability to sort of reclaim or still maintain value out of their older lenses very much like the um like the f5 if you and of course these things are if you find one i you know would be a collector's item but if you do find an f6 with the factory modification to take pre-ai glass yeah i mean you know that's um literally a needle in a haystack. I don't, I don't even know where you would find one. Um, or if anyone ever made that modification, like they're rare on the F5. Yeah. yeah, probably almost non-existent on the F6. My question is when you kind of, I gotta say, traded in the F5 for the F6, did you find a, a, any learning curve making the switch? Like, or is it just like, um, oh, this feels familiar because if you use an F5 or an F100, it's like, yeah, this is not alien turf because it's yeah, and and basically yeah. the same thing, but just better. It it that would probably be the best way to put mm -hmm. it. Um, you know, in comparison, to just you know, on the F one hundreds, this has um, a, a superior autofocus mm -hmm. and matrix metering compared to the F one hundred. I guess the F one hundred would have been sort of, I guess, the prosumer version of the, the time. F yeah, yeah, the F five. It, yeah. it a brilliant yet flawed camera. Yeah, so. To answer your question, my experience was a little different because I didn't start shooting an F6 after having shot um, D3s and D4s for several, several years. Um, so it was zero adjustment uh, mm -hmm. for me. Um, I did shoot an F5, um, and I would say shooting the F5 compared to the F6, you know, once you've got the grip on the F6, it's basically like shooting an F5. It's a little bit lighter because it's, it's, you know, got a magnesium body and all of that stuff. And, you know, you're, you're, again, it's a refinement of materials and things like that. And, you know, it was catered to the, the lawyer and dentist and doctor market, you know, who, you know, you had disposable income and you wanted to shoot 35 millimeter film. Yeah, exactly. Because I think at the time um, you started seeing um, in 2004 in particular, uh, it was the dawn of the digital age, and a lot of um, uh, professional photographers were moving rather aggressively into digital in 2004 to 2008. Like that's when, you know, shortly after the D2X series came out, um, you know, Nikon launched the D3, which was the essentially the first camera where you could shoot 
digital at 12,800 ISO with no noticeable grain at all. It, like it was insanely, it was stupid. Like how, oh, you know, I, I remember when the D3 and the D300 came out and I would have loved to got my hands on the D3, but yeah. again, money. And I went with the D300, which still super powerful still camera. Yeah. And of course the D3 being Nikon's first full frame uh, digital camera as well. I, I, sh I still have my D4. I still shoot with it. It's an incredible piece of machinery and, and it, the usability, the ergonomics are, are pretty much interchangeable. Um, you know, it has, you know, native without the grip, you get five and a half frames per second. Um, and then it goes up to eight with the grip. Uh, you know, all the, you know, latest metering modes, 3D color matrix metering. Um, uh, you know, your, I think it has like a four or five stop. Um, EV adjustment. EV adjustment. Yeah, it looks like probably um, insane. Yeah, amount of bracketing. Yeah, it's like yeah, it, it's one third. It, it'll it's three stops, but I think it's like uh, one third increments. So nice, you know. So it's nine nine going both ways. Tons of uh, focus modes as well. Yeah, looking at the back, and it even has a little screen on it. Yeah, has that... a little screen on it. Yeah, you can you can buy a a, a back for it. Um, that'll record your EXIF data onto a CF card. Why anybody would want that, I'm not really sure. Um, but, you know, you, you could if you want. The cool thing about it, too, is it, it's fully, it fully supports uh, Nikon's ITTL, which is their intelligent TTL metering system, as well as the Nikon Creative Lighting System as well. Ah, so, Creative Lighting System was really how I started getting into uh, strobist work. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know about the CLS, the, I guess the main sort of, difference between the Nikon lighting system uh, versus uh, Canon as an example. Uh, and I'm going to use Nikon and Nikon interchangeably. I'm trying to say the traditional way, but anyway, so the Nikon CLS, the, the main difference between the lighting system between the two brands is, is Nikon, um, the uh, flash exposure operates independently of the camera when the camera is in manual mode. So what that means, it allows you greater control. So you can set your flash to expose um, the subject uh, using the flash as a shutter. And then you can control your ambient lighting using the body in manual mode. So it really helps you, particularly if you're uh, you know, shooting, say, let's say, a wedding or an event in a banquet hall where you, know, you have um, poor um, ambient lighting, but you have, you're going to get your... your your subject or your front lighting done really well because you're going to flash is going to expose for that. So the way, you know, it helps you is you can use the flash as your shutter, expose your subject really well, but then uh, leave your camera body shutter open a little bit longer. So you let more ambient light in. So then you're not, it's not looking like you're shooting somebody in a cave. You're, you're, you know, because the shutter staying open longer and the flash is just exposing your, your subject really quickly. You get very evenly done, uh, or, you know, evenly lit uh, exposures in, in, you know, in those really dark, dark situations. It took me a year to figure that out. Yeah. And from the first time I started using um, an external flash on my Nikon bodies to from 2007, by 2008, I had it figured out and my photos improved tenfold. Oh, yeah. Once you figure it out. And it, it took out... me a year to figure yeah. it out. It's not anything short you can't do it in seven days you can't do it in 31 days 
Well, it's, it's, it's like most things in photography, right? I mean, you need good experience doing anything. And, and what good experience is, is making an, a mistake and correcting that mistake. Absolutely. And then making, you know, adjust, looking at the result and continuing to make adjustments and learn through each cycle of doing something. Shooting the same way for 20 years is one year of experience times 20, right? Shooting differently for 20 years every year is 20 years of experience. So it's really important to you know, experiment with different techniques and that sort of thing, which is probably fodder for a future episode. Um, but, but it also perfectly represents what Nikon did with their pro cameras. Absolutely. They started with the F, which is a great camera, but it had a ton of flaws. They made incremental changes over the course of it. And then once they hit that break point, they started with the F2 and put all the corrections into one. And then they started again, and then you got the F3, and then you had all these little tiny changes all through it in this big wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey mess that is Nikon's product line through the 60s, 70s, 80s, and into the 90s. And you got the F3, you got the F4, you got the F5, you got the F6. It is just a brilliant representation of how much camera technology has changed in really a short amount of time because they listened to photographers. Yeah. Well, that, oh, that, yeah. that was Nikon's, you know, real sort of approach to, you know, they were the always considered the photographer's camera. The cameras were built around photographers, you know, and you say, you know, compare that to say the Leica M series, you know, I would, and, and, and no, no dissing Leica or anything, but it's certainly not built for a professional approach to 35 millimeter photography. Well, Leicas were always aimed at more of the artist. Yes. Whereas the Zeiss icons, the contacts were the working photographer. Exactly. Probably yeah. why when Nikon started their rangefinders, they took the shutter system from the Leica, which was a much easier to work on shutter system, but the body style and the mount of contacts. the Zeiss, yeah. Yeah, the, of the Zeiss contacts. Icon. It's weird, though, because Leica had its moment as a pro-body camera in the mid-50s, but... And there are still plenty of pro-photographers who, who use them. Who use them. Yeah. I but mean, it was like Johnny Martyr, well, for example. I mean, you know, while we're on the subject, the reason that it failed starts and ends with F. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and while it starts with Nikon or Nikon and ends with F, um, you know, but, I mean, they were responsible for, um, you know, large success of the 35 millimeter professional market from 1959 onwards. Absolutely. And it was also thanks to a Leica camera that Nikon got its glass onto the world market. Yeah. Right. It was the 85 millimeter F2 that the one American journalist mounted on his Leica and went, wow, this is actually really good. Yeah. It's funny because my brother Alex is planning to do a screw mount lens test. And I think part of it is like he wants to use the, uh, Maybe called the Black Belt Nikkor HC 50F2 in screw mount, the Canon 851.8, and a couple other ones, including everyone's favorite, the Jupiter 8, one of your friends. Well, you know, all I can say about the F6, and if you're considering getting one, um, you'll be hard pressed to find a brand new one these days, but perhaps there's one in a, in a you know, defunct or close to being defunct. Uh, camera shop somewhere or a, or a very good camera 
busy camera shop and someone's forgotten about it and it's sitting on a shelf in the, in the back room, you might be able to find one. Um, if you do find a new one, you're probably looking upwards of $2,400 Canadian. Um, if you, I, th I'm, I haven't checked the used market recently, but last time I checked, which is probably a few years back, they, you could get a used one ranging from, depending on condition, from 600 Canadian all the way up to, say, 1800 1900 I was seeing more 1100 to 1800 on Evil Bay. Okay. Well, that's that's been my because I've yeah. been sort of like, hmm, F six. Do I, you know? Well, here's how I would put it: if if you're considering one of these over an F five, um, the biggest factor I think would be weight. Um, mm. So you know, if you're a person that wants a lighter kit, the F six, or pardon me, the F five is not for you. The F six is no um, lightweight either. It is. It's still you know, it's still a fairly heavy camera it's dense it's dense uh, there's a lot of stuff packed in there um like i said it's an evolution over the f5 so you know if you've got some ai glass and you want to take advantage of the you know supported 3d color matrix metering yeah that's a that's a really good point if you shoot um you know you want more precise metering or the most precise film metering you can get um it's going to be in the f6 um, so if you're, you know, you're planning to shoot a lot of slide film, something that's got to be, you know, really particular and, and exacting on the exposures, that's a really good reason to do it. There's a lot of other conveniences. You, the film rewind, you can, you can set it so the tab is left out. Film loading is a breeze. You know, you put the cartridge in, you pull the end of the tab to the little red mark, you close the door, you push the button, bang, 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 you're ready to go. So you can, you can, you know, fill a spool, it'll automatically rewind and probably less than 10 seconds um, you can pop your cartridge out and pop one in in less than you know another 10 seconds so you know really geared towards like the sports shooter market that sort of thing um, for the time um, of course you know now digital that's that's not a problem but you know if you're if this is what you're looking for with a film camera if you're looking for the most sort of I think refined um, 35 millimeter film SLR body on the market in my opinion, this is probably it. Um, you know, I would say you could possibly look at a, a Canon 1B, but I mean, if I'm going to compare, say, a Canon 1B versus an F5, you know, given the price point, it would be hard to justify not getting the F5. I mean, the, the 1B, I'm not overly familiar with it, might have a few more autofocus tweaks, might be a little bit faster in uh, continue, continuous shooting and that sort of thing. Well, EF was always faster on autofocus over Nikon because they put the motors into the lens into itself. The lenses, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it is the one thing that I really will give to Canon over Nikon is autofocus speed and accuracy. Yeah. Well, until if the G lenses came flash, then you want to go with Nikon because yeah. Canon's flash metering is terrible. Yeah. It's still terrible. Yeah. And well, I mean, that too. I mean, well, the good thing is too, I mean, if you put G glass on this, then, you know, you've got silent wave motors in the lenses as well too. Well, so. AFS and G. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Sometimes yes. they're different. Yes. Yeah. 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 You would, you would go, pardon me. Yeah. You would go with the AFS G lenses, um, you know, with the motors built in the lenses and, you know, I'm not to get into brand wars, but in my experience, and this is coming from, you know, being a wedding shooter who at one point shot Canon, and I would only shoot, of course, L-series glass with Canon when shooting professionally. Um, but And, and I, the reason I switched was what I was seeing was 
I had gone through buying, you know, a, you know, a few very high priced lenses, some, you know, 51.2 primes, 85.12 primes, um, and exchanged a couple of them because they were very poor copies. So what I found when I switched to Nikon, every copy of every lens I ever used with Nikon from their consumer glass all the way up to their professional glass, every copy was damn near perfect. Mm. Whereas Canon, for me, I, I, I have trouble, um, buying their consumer rated glass, um, you know, and maybe it was better like, you know, um, with the EF mounts and that sort of thing, or, or sorry, maybe it was better prior when they were like, the, you know, prior to the EF mounts, um, you know, maybe they were doing a better job with the glass and with the film era, but certainly with the digital, they weren't. So, you know, again, like I said, photographers are, you know, stubborn stalwarts and we have our own quirks. And that is one of my quirks. I, I probably will never be, um, you know, a, a, uh, a really, you know, hard and fast Canon guy. It's difficult well, for me to get behind Canon. I got deep into, I got into Nikon autofocus because a friend of mine did lend me his Canon EOS one with a Sigma art 51.4 lens, which made it one hell of a powerful point machine. It took me a little while to figure it out. Cause again, you're going from a Nikon ecosystem to a Canon one. And it was like, yeah, I got it. And in the end results, I was shooting Cosmo Mono 100. Again, it's like not one bad frame on that roll. I looked at it and I immediately went and bought a Nikon F100. Because <laughs> it was like, yeah, Canon is like, A, it's like, okay, I do have, I'm a Nikon shooter that loves Canon FD glass. But it was like, the, 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 you know, I was just sort of bouncing my brain. No, I don't want to get into yeah, the quote-unquote EOS slash EF mount, because it's just like, oh, God, I'll buy another lens. No, we're going to say no today. Uh, we'll stick with AF and AFD, because, uh, again, I already had some pieces, and I just sort of went a little deep, deeper on it, and it was the right decision. And, uh, yeah, um, yeah, the EOS one is a brilliant camera. It's just like if you're someone who's already invested in EOS glass, then that is a logical choice. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Couldn't agree more. So last question to everyone. If someone wanted to buy a camera of this era, which one would you be recommending, Bill? I think my first – then I would turn around and ask a question. What glass have you got? Because, again, it's like the F4, the F5, the F6. If you've got a mixture of AFD and manual focus AI or AIS glass, then I would say, well, if you're on a budget – grab an F4. If you've got more money rolling around your sock drawer, get an F6. But yeah, pack some extra lithium batteries because they're kind of a funky one you're not going to see everywhere uh, when you're in the world. Whereas the F4, it's all double A's and you can go to any gas station on planet Earth and you can probably find some. So really, it kind of depends. The F5, it's like one of those I generally, I love the camera, but would I recommend it to everyone? It's like, well, if you got mostly AFD glass, I'd say sure, but you gotta want it. It's like it's it's like you. It's a it's a Grail camera, and it's like it's it's a very powerful and capable camera, but again, it's not light, and there's a bit of a learning curve. But once you get past it, it's like you know. All right. Well, I'm gonna have a very 
parameterized answer. So let me clarify the parameters of this question first. We're talking 35 millimeter. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, film, of course. Um, hard to say. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna categorize my answers. Uh, if you're looking, if you're the type of photographer that's looking for something essentially as dependable as you can get, and you travel. Um, and we're just talking Nikon system here? Yes. Okay. Uh, if you travel um, and you're looking for something dependable, you are new to uh, learning exposures and that sort of thing, but want the room to advance, hands down, I think the F6 is the way to go because you travel. If you don't travel um, and, you know, you're okay carrying around a little bit of weight, you know, save yourself anywhere from a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars and get yourself an f5 um, both of those cameras are you know hands down the two top of the line nikon um, uh, cameras uh, if you are somebody that is sort of i guess of the old school era that wants something a little bit more traditional um, and wants a little you know good metering want to spend under say 300 bucks i would go with a nikon fa mm. interesting call because the fa is the one manual focus nikon body i never got it they're fun yeah i really like the fa but you really want to get that md15 yeah. grip and drive for it ah. because then you get the ability to power it with double a batteries sure yeah, the reason I say the FA is because the FA was coined the Techno Camera when it was launched at Photokina in 82, 82, 84. Because it was I, I thought, 82 or 84. Anyway, yeah, I thought it was 83 that it came out. Ah, you're right. I think we were both we were both very close. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, let's just say between in the early 1980s, um, so. Pre-1985, definitely. It was probably 83 when it was launched. Um, it was coined the first techno camera, uh, and that's because it was Nikon's first um, production camera with matrix metering. The camera has so many features for what you can get for, say, two or $300 if you can find one in good, good condition. You know, it, it just, you know, and that's if you're in sort of the nostalgia sort of, you know, what I call the little F market, you know, like the, the FAs, the uh, FMs, those sort of things. The FE2s, which I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, love the FE2. You know, so if you're in, in that sort of headspace, that's what your, you know, aesthetic you're after or function or design that you're after, you know, there. I would have said the F3, but I think the FA is more feature-rich than the F3. So. And it's, it's really an underdog, right? You will pay through the nose for an F3. Yeah. Right, whereas the FA doesn't get as much influencer attention. Yeah, I, right? I think it is one of the most underrated cameras out there. The FA. Yeah, definitely. <sighs> man, all these complex, <laughs> complex answers. Um, mine's. I'm gonna try to make mine better. Um, if you're moving from a digital world and you have that full frame glass, and you've never shot film before spend the money get the f6 like it will be the easiest thing to move from like i take a look at the f6 and i go i know what every button does and it honestly feels like my d750 
which is pretty incredible. Um, if you are into that 80s aesthetic and you love manual controls, go with the F4 and go with that. Especially if you have a lot of manual glass floating around, you'll have a much easier time with the F4. If you just want something that will just take everything you throw at it and get scratched and beat up and go with the F5. Like, hands down, it is a tank. It is probably the most solid built of all the professional Nikon F cameras, and it will never let you down. And it is actually really affordable now. And part of me wishes that I had waited, but part of me is glad that I didn't because I've created a lot more excellent work with the F5 than I ever did with an F2, an F3, an F4. The F6 is lovely, and if my F5 ever dies, it's what I will replace it with. I won't replace it with another F5, and the reason is you can take that battery grip off, and if I'm traveling where weight and space is an issue, it's a much better camera. I can bring more lenses, and it will work with every Nikon lens I own, from my AIs all the way up to my AFS Type Ds and Type Gs. Yeah, and I forgot to mention the batteries are common. They're CR one twenty threes. Exactly. Okay, you can get those in Shoppers Drug Mart or Rite Aid. Or yeah, absolutely. Walgreens. You can even be in Regina, Saskatchewan, and get CR one twenty threes. Yep, and they're Ooh. lithium, and they last a long time. The cameras, it's it's a bulletproof system. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Until next time, my name's Alex Lokes. Nikon, Nikon, it doesn't matter how you pronounce it, it's more how you use them. Okay, this is Bill Smith. 456 is more than a series of subway lines in New York. It's three cameras. Hey, this is James Lee. Don't just get your game on, get your Nikon. Mm-hmm.